0: Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of MensHelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. Everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Men Talk podcast with your host, Daniel Landau. We will be talking on this episode with Gareth Landy. Who lives all the way in Ireland? Men Talk is a podcast where men talk about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Gareth, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself, share your story, your journey, whatever you'd like, and we'll go from there.
1: Okay. No, no pressure at all there, I guess. Uh, so, hello, everyone. My name is Gareth Landy. I live in Ireland, as Daniel said. And I'm on this platform and other platforms in recent times because. I've become an advocate on raising awareness of male infertility. So in 2017, when when my wife and I were trying to have a family, uh, my wife couldn't get pregnant. Now, compared to other couples, we had a a slightly different window in that my wife has MS, multiple cirrhosis. So she had to come off her MS medication to have a better window of getting pregnant. And um, we were trying for, I wouldn't say for ages, a few months anyway and nothing was happening so my wife said why don't you go for a sperm analysis so I went for a sperm analysis through my GP general practitioner our doctor here Uh, the health system in Ireland runs more similar to the UK just for those listening and um, so we went for that and it came back the results came in zero sperm count and the consultant not my consultant the doctor said well, hmm. He said, and the odd time, the very rare time, Gareth, sometimes a mistake could happen in the lab. So we'll do another one. And because we, my wife had MS, had, sorry, has MS, we had more of a, a limited time frame of, of being able to try and conceive. So I went for a second sperm analysis and that came back zero sperm count. And it was, Crazy. It was really overwhelming, and I'm kind of giving the stripped-down version here. And uh, we then went to see a consultant, um, a consultant urologist. We prayed, or sorry, we paid privately, and he looked at some of the results that had come in. He did a very brief examination of me, and then he looked me directly in the eye and said, "Gareth, it doesn't work downstairs. You need to get over that and move on." And that is how I was originally told. About my infertility.
0: Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. What was your reaction when he said, Gareth, it doesn't work that downstairs. You get a get over that first. What was your reaction?
1: Sure. So, what happened was, um, I was sitting in the room and I was just, I was in, I would best describe it as an out of body experience. So, my thoughts began to spiral. Like, I mean, like, spiral crazy. Like, really crazy. It was kind of like, what the... It's okay to swear, is it? <laughs> the odd time, like, yeah, about...
0: go for it. Go for it.
1: It was kind of like, what the fuck? Like, are you fucking kidding me? And But the thoughts were kind of... They didn't make sense. They're all blurring one to the... into the other. Like, I was thinking of, like, some awful terrorists in the world. Awful things that people been blown up in in terrorist attacks and these people can have children like i would never ever do that like like most people add, i couldn't have children and why couldn't i have children and all the thoughts are spiraled and then and then i remember him saying he didn't say that to me in that way he he didn't i must have misheard him and my wife asked a few questions and i don't remember like i mean like it's it's a blur i can remember the thoughts but i don't remember being present and when we left we left. Like I tried to make a bit of small talk with the re- with the receptionist that we were paying with because I was just I was just so fucked. Like like I'm laughing about it now, but I was just so overwhelming because I did not know. Like I didn't know any guys at this stage. I didn't know male infertility was a thing. I had heard of it and I heard people had lost maybe the power of of having sperm maybe through an accident. But I hadn't had any accidents. I hadn't had like um, a rugby injury or I'd fall off my bicycle or, you know, something cast- catastrophic. I had not had that experience. So how the hell did I not have sperm?
0: It's a great question. And that's something that men often ask themselves, right? How do you not have sperm? I mean, that's, that's a mind blowing thing. Male infertility is real. The shock, the shock is real.
1: Yeah. Do yeah. You, absolutely.
0: Do you uh, wish the doctor didn't say that to you. I mean, there are certain things doctors should say and should not say. But when you're delivering the news about someone that says, Oh, wait a second, you don't have a sperm count, right? You have vasospermia. Now you're trying to think, how do I deal with it? Like how should the doctor, how would you want to hear about it from the doctor? What should he have said? Like what would have been the proper the proper way?
1: I suppose you no, know, there's no proper way, but I think and a a lot of medical professionals could hear this, like, you know, medical professionals, I I feel that a lot of medical professionals should listen to guys like you and I talking on how to deliver this news. Like, you can go and do your medical training and all that and learn about male infertility and and look at it in kind of like a third-person frame of reference, but when you're standing there or sitting there in the room with a person and if you don't have the social skills to deliver or tell someone in a humane, caring way, then you're not, to be honest, you're not a very good doctor. Like you can have the, you know, you have all your A stars and all your, your great accreditations. But if you don't have the people skills, to be honest, then you shouldn't be a doctor. It's probably quite a sweeping statement to make, but
0: it definitely is. I mean, that that's, that's the conversation I've been seeing and having is that doctors oftentimes are overlooking. They're not looking at, How do we deliver the news? How do we communicate with the man effectively going through infertility? How do we communicate with a woman's going through a miscarriage? Whatever the case might be, oftentimes they're looking at how do we treat that person in the moment? How do we solve this problem? How do we make this medically fit and appropriate as opposed to the holistic perspective of what's going to be the emotional, what's going to be the mental side effect, what's going to be the physical effect, right? How is that going to affect them in other ways as opposed to just let's just do that treatment. Let's just go through another round of IVF. Let's do... It's often yeah. overlooked.
1: I, and I, to kind of answer your first question there, like a way that doctor could have said this and other guys who medical professionals into this, is Gareth, you could say something like this as an opening line. Like, we'll just say my name because it's easy. Okay. Gareth, I've got some pretty... He did say something. I've got some kind of a big news here. He did say this at the start, but then he just said... He also said as well... You know, I've got some big news here. And I was like thinking, right, fine. He's going to have some results from here. And he said, if you were my son, I would treat you the same. And that's what he did say. And then he launched straight into what I said. He did say that. But the whole bedside matter was a big, you know, a minus 10 in Eurovision standards there, you know. Um, I'm trying to make a bit of a joke out of it, but comedy does help. But um, like he could have said, you know, like I said, about if you're my son, I would treat you the same. You will, he could have said something like, for example, Gareth, you certainly aren't the first and you definitely will never be the last, but we have news about your fertility. He could have said it like that and then you don't feel so alone. He didn't give me the context of feeling amongst other men who have experienced that. If he had said that, I think, well, I don't know what I would say. It would still be devastating, but it would give you context that you're not alone. I think that's one of the biggest things about this guy's just because men don't talk about it. It's not in society. Um and guys just feel so alone. Like I just felt I felt so emotionally broken. Just like things I thought that were important. I just realized weren't. <laughs> like like not important at all. Um like I used to have a wedding video business. I used to be and I used to at the time I was getting excited about, oh, I wanna get a particular lens and I wanna do this and I wanna do that. And then I got this. It's like, why the fuck did I care about that stuff? It's not, it's not important at all. It's like, like why did I ever care about that? Um, sorry, I kind of went off there. One. Oh, um, good.
0: No, you're making really good, making really good points.
1: Um, but sorry, what was your question again? Apologies. I, no, no,
0: You made made a really good points. So what happened afterwards? Like your journey. So you found out, okay. Oh shit! I have no sperm. Right? You had that kind of moment. What? What happens next? Like what? What happens in your journey next?
1: Okay, so I also should mention as well is that my GP was still my GP. They did say when I got my second sperm analysis when they looked at the results. And they're very caring doctors in general. All the doctors in this practice, and they did say to me, Gareth, have you ever heard of a of a syndrome called Kleinfelter syndrome, which is K L I N E F E L T E R for people listening or XXY, which I later got to know about. And I was like, no, sounds like some dude from Germany. I don't know. And I said, you kind of, you know, though you're very tall, you kind of fix some of the... You you would be kind of maybe in the kind of remit of what we considered the traits for XXY or Kleinefelter syndrome. And I went, oh, okay, but we had our appointment with the consultant coming up, so I didn't look into it because I felt he's going to have the answer. So... Anne and I, it's my wife, when we left the clinic after that urologist over the next few weeks I completely retreated within myself Um, I got really good at playing Assassin's Creed Black Flag on the Xbox like you know uh, everyone was demolished whether they're Spanish, British or French all their warships got wiped in the Caribbean Um, I got really into that and I started drinking more alcohol Um, I stopped training I did a lot of cycling and running and I stay up late at night and, um, like was it was, it was just pure escapism because I didn't, I didn't fucking know what to do. Um, and what my wife did, and this is the reason why we have a family these days. I know I've kind of ruined the punchline, but, uh, is that <clears throat> my wife began researching online and she found this amazing consultant who is still my consultant, a guy called Dr. Jonathan Ramsey based in London. So he we went over to see Dr. Dr. Jonathan Ramsey. Like, Dublin to London is a 55 minute flight time. Like it's, it's no, it's no biggie. So we went to see him and it was amazing. It was absolutely fantastic.
0: Wow. So he helped. So he helped tremendously after that. What does he do? Yeah. Is a therapist or he's, what, what does he, what does he do?
1: Okay. So. Immediately when you met him, like we arrived, our flight out of Dublin had been delayed by fog and then we raced across London in the heat and, uh, we arrived as like a big sweaty mess and we were late for our appointment. And when he came around the desk, he was like, he has this amazing voice. He does. He's a brilliant voice. And, um, he just put his hand on my shoulder at one stage and said, Gareth, we're going to try and we're going to do not we're trying. We're going to do everything possible to find an answer for you and Ada. And he's See if all medical professionals were like this, it would make such a difference. That's all people want. They want
0: absolutely compassion and care,
1: compassion, empathy, caring. Um, And I felt because I'd already had a recent experience with another consultant, so I was kind of probably a bit, I got really hurt again here. You know, even though I was trying to get off a kind of air of having the laugh and having the crack, and you know, I was still kind of an edge. And Dr., Dr. Ramsey, is a is a specialist urologist, so he works with people who have XXY. So I'm wearing a top here at the moment, which I so I'm a I'm an advocate for this non-profit based in California. I'm a European advocate, and I had to go for a special blood test. It's a carrier type test, which he organised, and basically before I went for my blood test, he explained to Anna and I what he does. Um, how we might try and retrieve sperm and stuff, if I had sperm, okay? But to find out, I know I'm jumping back and forth here in the timeline for people. So we'll just go with the blood test. So I went for a carrier type test. The carrier type test counts the chromosomes in a blood sample. And this is why my t-shirt says XXY. So for people listening, at a chromosomal level, Women are XX, men are XY, and I am XXY. So I was born with an extra X chromosome. And what I have is that, wait for it, this is quite a bombshell. What I have is the most common underdiagnosed genetic condition in the world to affect boys and men. It's really, really prevalent. Like the UK, the NHS. Say that one in every six hundred and sixty males are affected. Like it's very, very common, and no one knows about it. Wow, like i I'd never heard of it.
0: Do people Sorry. with XS, XXY in general, males with XXY, are they all struggling with male infertility because of the XXY, or is it more? Obviously, it's less common. There's not a lot of research on it. But what are the effects of XXY in general, is infertility?
1: Yeah. So first, I always say to people when they're listening or watching this, which is often ignored if they're researching XXY or Kleinefelter syndrome. By the way, uh, when I talk about it, I always say XXY because when I talk about it to people and people hear, oh, you've got a syndrome, they see you in a lesser light. People hear the word syndrome. It's a reloaded, preloaded word with other syndromes out there. So I always say XXY and people I find are more inclined to ask you, what is XXY? It's a good way to start a conversation. So XXY is a spectrum. So anyone listening to this, if you meet one person with XXY, you've met one person with XXY. It affects individuals differently. It's a very wide spectrum. So, But some of the traits include height. Like I'm very tall. I'm six foot three. I can't think what that is in meters. Um uh, visual thinkers. So my background is photography video production. Um the guy in the States who set up this foundation, he is a chef, this is his background. He's photography. There's guys in England, his background is a builder. Like he has a kind of the this kind of visual way of thinking that he can say, say, for sake Daniel, you want to get um a, a conservatory put inside your house. And you say, I want it to be four meters across and eight meters this way. This guy, because he talked about it, he can then visualize that whole wall in, even though he just looking at a big pile of crap, the ground, a big pile of muck. But he can visualize the whole thing finished with the floors in, all this extra detail. And this is like one of the traits. Infertility, that's a big trait. So within the XXY community, I fall into a subcategory. So I'm a mosaic within the XXY sphere, which means I have XY and XXY sex cells. So I'm in a smaller, I think it's around 10% of XXY people. I'm in that kind of smaller group. The other big indicator is lower natural testosterone levels. That's a big indicator. So um, I think Israel uses the same system as we do in Europe Um, The American system is very difficult to understand. So we'll go with the European one. Um, So across Europe, testosterone on a scale from 0 to 30. Okay. Daniel, your natural testosterone level, most men, is 19 to 24 on this scale. When I learned I was XXY, I found out my natural levels were 11 to 13 on this scale. Whoa. Now, if you think that's low which is around at least a third less, there are guys I've talked to and know, and their levels were four. So they're permanently fatigued. They're retired. They drink loads of Red Bull. uh, They drink loads of coffee. They don't know why. Um, Also, if you have lower natural testosterone, if you go to the gym and you're trying to lift weights and all the rest of it, um, I've never been into that, so I I, I didn't have this problem, is that you won't be able to put on muscle mass. You just won't be able to do it because you don't have that hormone to help with that development. So that's kind of re- it's why it's why it's really important to know about this, you know.
0: So I'm curious. Once you found out that it was because of XXY that you had male infertility, did that cause you to get involved with the XXY Foundation and become an advocate for dealing with male infertility? Which one? You know, came first. Was it more the focus on the XXY before you could start the treatments of dealing with the infertility aspect, or was it the infertility because of the XXY? Which way?
1: Uh, it actually all came after we did our treatment. So I didn't know Ryan at the time. So I um to finish off this the first part and then jump to that question is I had two operations on my testicles. So I had an FNA, which is a fine needle aspiration. You're under anaesthetic. Great start. And 16 fine needles are put into each testicle in the testicle sac. And what they're hoping to do is retrieve pools of sperm. Now, Jonathan Ramsey told me this is about the infertility or f- fertility within XXY is that some people have been found who some, I emphasize some, not all, some people have been found that the, if, if they have the ability to produce sperm, it drops off in their mid twenties if they have the ability. And I was 37 at the time. And Jonathan Ramsey said, we can have a look. We'll just have a look. It wasn't like a super expensive operation. And when the results came out, he found out that I was the first person in the world at 37 that he or he believed any of his other consultants in the world had, I had, he, his, his language was you have the ability to produce the building blocks that build sperm. So I was the very first person.
0: So you must have been relieved when to hear that from the last conversation.
1: Oh, absolutely, because it kind of gave Anna and I hope because because I was I was very much struggling with with this. I didn't like, and I also still to this day I don't have a very good relationship with my family. Like I don't. uh, My mother passed away of cancer in two thousand six, and I don't have any relationship with my family. And I could never tell them. It's not that. I couldn't tell them because, like, uh, I was kind of ashamed of who I was. I couldn't tell them because they would make fun of me and they'd run me down. So I was already in a very vulnerable position. So why would I tell them?
0: Yeah, uh, no, that that's exactly right. That made you feel like you're going to be made fun of and and down to because of that whole infertility. I six Y. I'm I'm right there with you. Like, I'm sure yeah, it must have been they, hard.
1: Yeah, but they they. My, my my feeling is like they wouldn't be doing it for a kind of like, like in a caring way. They'd be kind of doing it to just run me down because I don't oh my.
0: Have...
1: yeah. Yeah. Like they like I've been for therapy about my relationship with my family. If there's a few narcissistic people in my family and and if they knew at the time they would tell everyone, spread around and just just be awful, horrible people. So there's no point telling them. But uh when the results came in, like it did give Anna and I hope of, oh my God, is this possible? But I had to go on. um But remember I talked about that testosterone level of 11 to 13. Well, following that first operation, whatever way my body has learned to adapt, operating um, a third less testosterone. What happened was my natural levels crashed to four. So I was, Really tired. I was really exhausted. Um, and over the next few months, I went on hormone. Rep- I, I, yeah, I was taking hormones. I was taking Clomid. It's a drug given to women for breast cancer, and there was hope that my body would absorb all these chemicals, turn it into the fuel, which would become like testosterone and all this, and that would become the fuel to build sperm. This is the plan. And then I had a follow-up operation called a micro T Z. This is T-E-S-E. It stands for, oh God, if, <laughs> I don't know, memory. Testascular or something or other, and i forgot the rest. But if you Google it, you'll find it. And that was a follow-up operation. And the results came back that my ability to produce sperm had actually diminished. I couldn't do it any longer. Um, but So with that, but when I got the news of that, it was delivered in a really nice way. It wasn't kind of like the first consultant I guess someone told me in a nice way. But ahead of time, Dr. Jonathan Ranty had said the chances of this working, Gareth and Anna, is quite low. Like, it's not a high figure. It couldn't be like 10 to 20%. It wasn't that high. So you have to, he recommended that we have to look at using donor sperm. So, so that was because he, what the plan was basically was that if they extracted sperm from me, they would then. Put it into Anna's, Anna's eggs, retrieve from her, but they didn't find sperm for me. They would use the donor sperm as a as a backup plan. This is the, the plan. Anyway, there you go, plan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we went we went to see um we went to to, to an event up in Belfast, run by a very very good uh, charity network. It's called the Donor Conception Network, based in the UK, and they had all these people talking. Uh, some of them, there's a guy, Danny, who talked. He'd lost his ability to produce sperm. I can't remember why, but he talked about his children and he never kind of said, Oh, my donor conceived children. He, it was that use of language was really important. And it was, I was already on the fence about this, by the way, you know, I was already open to it because that door of me potentially having sperm had kind of opened again, but there was a high chance it was going to close again. And, and I really wanted a family with Anna. And, so I was gonna...
0: I was going to ask you in terms of in terms of donor sperm. When you're going down that conversation, a lot of men tell me, "Oh yeah, I can I can use donor sperm, but it makes me feel less of a man." You know, it would be great to use my sperm. Yes, I really want to have a family. Like, what is that experience? What's going through your mind? Yes, you want to have a family, but to hear, okay, you're going to do donor sperm. It's not going to be your own sperm. Yes, you're still going to be a a father, but it's not going to be coming from you. What was going through your through your mind and how did you deal with that?
1: Well, I would say that a lot when you're on those websites, a lot of it is very abstract. So the information that you're given, like, you know, you can get like a photograph of what the donor looked like when that child when it was like one. But you're like anyone at one or two, could be a boy or girl, like (laughs) it's just like a child and you know their height, but there's no kind of like real kind of personal information. So you have all this kind of access to, you know, oh, that donor's grandmother once removed, she died of cancer. Oh, maybe I'll rule that person out. So you have all this extra information that isn't to be, well, it is relevant, but it's not relevant. You know, it's not really relevant to like, say for example, say, I met Anne in a bar. We kind of met in the bar in would And if I had asked Anne all that odd information to be like, this guy's a fucking idiot, like, I'm not gonna spend any time with him. <laughs> you know, he would never ask those people those questions. So I kind of feel that I think guys are a bit kind of wrapped up in it's not my sperm, and they get too focused on this when that is not important. I know it's easy for me to say that. I can tell you I that's what I believe. Um like like I we am trying to think of the kind of the, some of the abstract stuff there. Like we were at some of these events and You'd be on some of these websites, but some of the websites, they'd have all this information, but be nothing like that you could relate to. So say, for a mistake, they had a couple on who was from England and he didn't have sperm. You know, England, Ireland, they're very similar. You know, if they had people who'd done video testimonials, just saying hypothetically, it makes it more relatable. You know, oh, oh, hi, my name is Derek and I'm from Ireland. Sure, Jesus, I could then relate. His accent sounds the same to mine. You know, he, some of the mannerisms he uses, why I use donor sperm. Jesus, it was brilliant. You know, I know most people aren't me really like that, but I'm, I, I think there is scope there to make some of these websites more relatable to people when they're on these sites. Cause you're emotionally and financially really, um, vulnerable, you know, trying to find information. Like we were on sites and I'd be sitting there with a glass of wine and often I would break down crying. Because, because I, I didn't, I was so in grief about myself. And then what ended up happening was I began to find problems with the donors when there weren't problems with the donors anyway. And then Anna would screen them down to like a smaller group of people and trying to make this big decision based on so little information, just a, like what, a little bit of information off a website. Um, so what, We did in the end was we went to that donor conception network event that I mentioned and they had a woman who spoke and when she spoke it it honestly it just blew my fucking head because she was a donor conceived woman. She was 24, 25 at the time and she talked about her parents and her. she even sperm donor conceived. So I can't remember why her dad had lost his ability but there you go. And she talked about my dad, but she never said, oh, my dad and the sperm donor. She said, sure, he's important for me to be here, but he's not my dad. The person who changed my nappies, bought me to school, taught me to drive, bought me to university. He's my dad. And when I heard her speak, like I got re-upset really because it was, it was amazing. Like here is a person who existed because of a sperm donor. And she never saw the sperm donor as her dad ever, and if guys are listening to this, I'm telling you, seriously, if you don't have sperm, I know what it's like. I don't have sperm um I'm very proud to have sperm, <laughs> but it's not the end of the world. You can still be a father, you can still be a parent, you have a choice, you know you do have that choice it's you know it's 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 so worth it like I know it's a lot of grief, and there's no there's no guarantee it'll work either, you know? So when we left that, we contacted Jonathan Ramsey and we told him about, we were finding it very overwhelming trying to find someone, pick this in for this donor. So he said, I work with a woman here. Um, Her name is Erica Foster. And uh, Erica Foster, by the way, works at the, the Whittington hospital in London. And Erica has a sperm bank and we contacted Erica. And this is really interesting. So, I have, it's the same image still on my LinkedIn profile. It's me standing there with a camera and I'd sent her a message through Instagram, or not Instagram, through LinkedIn and she, she got my image and she said, you know, I have a donor. We put on a speakerphone that looks really like Gareth because I can see what a Gareth looks like on Instagram or sorry, on, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, same image. And I have a donor that looks really like Gareth and we got a really good feeling of Erica. She said why the why the donor was doing it and why he wanted to give his sperm. So he just said it was meant to be. And we picked picked, I think it's donor number eight. So donor number eight. And we then did three rounds of IVF. And on St. Patrick's Day 2019, we found out that Anna was pregnant. And in November 2019, our wait for it, our twins. We're born. So we have a boy and a girl and we call them, well, their nicknames are Tutu and ABBA and they were born in 2019. So, and then, well, COVID came in 2019. <laughs> that kind of was great fun. And, uh, and these days, like I closed my business when the, when we knew Anna was pregnant. I just had had a, I filmed weddings for 13, 14 years and I wanted to do some, I didn't want to do it any longer. I'd done it like enough. And um I'm now a stay-at-home dad. So I look after the kids. And uh, and uh there you go. So I, I will answer the second part of your question as well about the other stuff.
0: <laughs> uh, well, you have a crazy, wild story. And I think you're giving a lot of inspiration, hopefully, guys out there who do have male infertility. I mean, the line that you said is so, sticks out to my mind. It's so powerful that the line that you said is, it's not the end of the world if you don't have sperm. You can still be a father. That is just so powerful to men listening here, because if you don't have sperm, you're struggling with it. You can still be a father, and it doesn't make you less of a man. Better yet, a worse parent because you don't have sperm. So that de- definitely sheds a line of hope to those listening.
1: Well, it's it's true, you know. Like there, like the children we have now. Like, a, like a, I meet parents. I've got we got pals with loads of guys and girls, and I find as well, which is really interesting, when I open up about, if I meet some of the car parks, there's a guy I've got to know really well. His name is Wayne, right? And I met Wayne once at a forest park about a year and a half ago. And we're pretty good pals. And um because we're having this really good conversation and just the way I am, I like chatting. Like, you never guess that, Daniel. I'm good at chatting. And <laughs> basically he, he was saying, oh my God, your children are lovely and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, do you want to hear something kind of, kind of interesting? And he was, what is it? And this is usually how I open my conversation. These children exist because I don't have sperm. And guys never ever say that. Guys will never say it. And I say that with such pride because they're here because I'm of the person I am. And then he started asking questions and then he told me about this major operation that he'd had. But, be- and I find that I've, because I let my guard down, I'm so proud to let my guard down. I find that other guys with whether it's infertility or not, they will let their guard down too and then I just strike up these friendships with people based on me being me and being open about this stuff um that's I wanted to say as well that you know that I think there's a lot of guys out there you know they're really struggling with this and as I think as well is like I mentioned to you at the start of this I did a TED talk in Dublin where I talk about XXY, it's not released yet, the male infertility. And when I've kind of talked about this and talked on different platforms, like I really believe that our society in general has to shift. There is such an emphasis on men have to be strong, or men or boys have to be strong. They can't show emotion. That's a weakness. It's a big as load of shit. Big as load of crap. You know, it really is. Like, to show sh- love and care for another person, you're saying that's a weakness. Give me a fucking break. Sorry, I keep swearing. It's just I get real passionate about this stuff. No,
0: I'm glad to speak freely. You know, it's many to hear this.
1: You know, it comes, like, it comes yeah. from the heart. <laughs> like it's really important that guys talk about this, and you know, I'm kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> but it's, it's just really important that people talk about this because you're no less of a man by asking for help. Like if you're mentally broken, if you're so unable to come to terms with this. Like I remember that. I retreated within myself. I played computer consoles on hours for hours and end, late at night. Stopped seeing my friends. I remember all that. Stop running, stop cycling. You know you're no help you're not helping yourself and you're definitely not helping anyone with that kind of outlook. Go for therapy. I'm a big advocate for therapy. Therapy saved and changed my life, and my wife and her family, of course. But therapy played a major part. And um, it's so important this stuff. And asking for th- asking for help, whether you're in the pub or you want to just talk to someone, just say, you know, whatever you know. Like like I remember when I, I I learned about my infertility. Anna said to me, "Why did you go to one of the pubs in the town? And we know alcohol doesn't solve everything." And I went to one of the pubs and when the lad says, oh, Gareth, how's it going? I said, yeah, yeah, fine. He goes, oh, "You don't seem very chatty. And I said, oh, I got some pretty big news. And um, and um I told him. And he, saw, he was just gobsmacked that I just said, I found out I don't have sperm. And he kind of said something along the lines of like, oh, sure, what's the worst that could happen? Because he didn't know what else to say. And I was like, did you not fucking hear what I said? I told you I don't have sperm. That's why I'm not happy. And then I realized I've been really rude to him and I bought him a pint and it's fine. But, but, uh, but like because no one talks about it, then a lot of guys feel really alone In reality, they're not alone. It's happened. There's millions of guys out there and it's really important to talk about this. And anyone, can anyone listen to this, they can message me. They can send me a message. Um, it's fine. Always talk to me. It's fine. I'm very open about it.
0: Thank you, Gareth. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey. I know there's probably lots more we can talk about, but in the interest of time, we can do a follow-up segment. Please continue sharing your story, just like Gareth shared his, I shared mine. It's extremely important that you all share your stories, your journeys. We're all here together. We're a community together. We're in this together. You're not alone. And the more you talk about it, the more open you are about it, the better you'll feel, the better you'll feel. The more productive you will be in society and at work, and you won't go down this dark, dark path that so many men do when they find out these horrible news of not having sperm or having to go through fertility journeys or miscarriage. You're not alone. Stay strong.
1: Thanks, man. Well, the, the last thing to say as well is just for people who are XXY or maybe they're finding out, there's a lot of misinformation about XXY, loads of misinformation. A lot of the study groups are done in really small groups of men. And these massive assumptions are made about an entire community of people based on tiny studies. So I'm, um, I don't know if people can see this in the shot, I'll tell for people listening. So I'm an, a European advocate for the Living with XXY Foundation and their website is livingwithxxy.org. If people want to contact me, I have my own website and my own Instagram, which is the same title. So it's pretty, P-R-E-T-T-Y, fly, F-L-Y. The number four, X-X-Y. dot com, and that's for Instagram as well. So pretty fly for X-X-Y, and you can read my entire story there. Um, and there's a link to Ryan's website, and you can contact me. And I'm very open about this. The last thing to say about X-X-Y. Sorry, I promised this. I promised the end. Oh, good. <laughs> is so I'm on T-R-T. So TRT is testosterone replacement therapy. So because my levels dropped from 11 to 13 and dropped to four, they had to all come back up again. And I'm on next, next week, actually, I get my next testosterone injection. And I get an intramuscular testosterone injection every 14 weeks. And it brings my levels up into the XY range. And it makes a massive difference to my life. Like a huge difference. Like last week, I went... I'm always trying to kind of slightly experiment on myself and I give back the results to my consultant. I don't know if a lot of guys do this, but I kind of really believe in helping others. And if my consultant has this information then he's going to share it and with others and it's, it benefits everyone because there is an associate and one more associated trait with XXY is poor communication skills. So I'm not sure how many XXY people share the information the way I do, but Last week, I went out on my bike. I wanted to see how far I could go. This is 12 and a half weeks since my last injection. And I cycled 64 kilometers in two hours, 42 minutes on my road bike. Wow. Um, and that's a week and a half to my next testosterone injection. So I don't know what my what my levels are at the moment. I always get a blood test to check my levels. But they, I can do these things because of the TRT I'm on now. It makes such a difference in my life
0: wow inspiring story and journey there's definitely a lot to know about xxy and many other factors that affect male infertility so if you're listening feel free to reach out to gareth or myself and continue the conversation we're here for you you've just listened to another great episode of men talk with daniel landau if you've suffered from miscarriage infertility stillbirth or infant loss and want to open up about it reach out we'd love to have you on the show You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org, today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.